welcome to HB Media Minute, a podcast from Haynes and Boone that focuses on legal trends impacting the media and entertainment industry, intellectual property, and First Amendment law. I'm Nathan Koppel, the Director of Media Relations for Haynes Boone, and today we're discussing a really interesting and significant development in copyright disputes. Traditionally, federal courts were the exclusive domain for resolving copyright infringement claims, but that is no longer the case. A new law, which takes effect very shortly in the spring, allows the U.S. Copyright Office to hear copyright infringement claims involving alleged damages of up to 30000 And I'm joined by two Haynes and Boone lawyers who are going to walk us through this shift in the copyright dispute landscape and what you need to know about litigating claims in the new, in the new forum. First up is Jason Bloom, the head of the firm's copyright practice. Jason is an experienced trial and appellate lawyer who has litigated copyright disputes in courts across the country. And I'm also excited to welcome back Associate Michael Lambert, who uh, joined us for the last episode of the HB Media Minute. Michael is a member of the firm's IP practice group and focuses on media, entertainment, IP, and First Amendment litigation. We'll get going in a minute, but first our disclaimer, this podcast is for informational purposes only, is not intended to be legal advice, and does not establish an attorney-client relationship. The topics we discuss are subject to change. Legal advice of any nature should be sought from your legal counsel. All right, well, excited to get started. Jason, Michael, welcome aboard. Jason, I'm going to start with you asking why Congress created this new forum for, for smaller dollar copyright claims. Yeah, thanks, Nathan, for having us. Uh, you know, I think it's for a number of reasons. For one thing, you know, copyright law is fairly complex and, and a sophisticated area of the law. And as a result of that, um, you know, copyright litigation can be expensive because there are a lot of nuances and you generally have to hire a sophisticated counsel to, um, to handle it. And litigating in federal court generally is an expensive and fairly time-consuming process. I mean, I think the average case takes about one and a half to two years to get to trial. Some cases take much longer. Um, and during all of that time, you're having to pay attorneys. And while attorneys' fees can be recoverable uh, for some copyright infringement claims, um, they're not recoverable for all copyright infringement claims, particularly when there was not a registration in place prior to the commencement of infringement. So sometimes the cost-benefit analysis of proceeding with a claim, even a meritorious claim in federal court, uh, does not weigh in the copyright claimant's favor. Um, on the flip side, for, for defendants, um, you know, copyright uh, infringement exposure can be significant in certain cases with uh, statutory damages ranging up to $150,000 per work and the possibility that the plaintiff, uh, if all the requirements are met, could recover its attorney's fees at the end of the case. And actual damages can be quite high if that's the option selected by the plaintiff. So it it's an incentive for, for defendants to seek a forum where damages are, are potentially capped as well. Uh, and it's, a, it's designed, at least, we don't know how it's actually going to work, but it's designed to provide for uh, more expedited relief and, again, these smaller copyright infringement matters. And the reason I think that it was enacted when it was enacted is because over the past several years with um, 
you know, the, the internet has been, been around for a few decades now, but with, with the advent of social media and, you know, the growth of the internet and everybody having, you know, internet, a major part of their daily lives and, you know, using the internet through multiple devices, including primarily now through smartphones, uh, the amount of copyright infringement that is out there has, has grown significantly uh, in a few respects. I mean, one is with photographs. I mean, you've just seen an, a, a huge increase in the number of photograph claims. Another is with videos. And uh, on social media, you have a lot of infringement that's happening in the music space. Um, and so, and, and one of the one of the issues that has arisen is it's very easy on the internet to copy other people's content. It's very easy to post your own content in a way that is not really sufficiently protected, and it's very easy to copy other people's content. And a lot of people don't think twice about doing it. They don't realize they're doing something wrong. They may be infringing another person's photo or song. Uh, and creators who want to be able to protect their rights uh, without having to spend you know, hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars um, going to a federal court lawsuit. So this system, I think, is designed to give those creators an avenue to pursue legitimate copyright claims without uh, going to federal court by creating, as as Michael will explain, a a three-judge panel at the Copyright Office that can handle these smaller claims expeditiously. And I, I... presume that in part the system is is designed to be um, open to kind of pro se litigants so parties that may not be represented by counsel may not want to spend the money on on an attorney to resolve their claims and and this is a forum um, that is designed for that you can proceed in federal court pro se but uh, you know it's it's fraught with uh, a lot of traps and, and uh, I don't think anybody would recommend doing so um, and, and I'd also add that, you know, just over the past few years, we've seen several what, what some courts have termed as copyright trolls, um, which are, are attorneys and firms that have represented uh, particularly photograph owners, in some case, music rights and video owners uh, in cases. And, and that's really put a significant burden on the federal courts to have all of these these somewhat small dollar copyright courts clogging up their dockets. So I think in a sense, uh, this is designed to kind of take some of that that case flow away from the federal courts and, and to divert it to this uh, copyright tribunal. Federal judges will, will really welcome the docket relief, I suppose. This is going to provide, our, our, is the copyright bar and, and you think most companies, is, is this a welcome develop, development to them as well? I think it remains to be seen. I mean, I think it, it really depends on the particular case. Uh, you know, for some plaintiffs who may be pursuing a smaller claim, I mean, I, I'm thinking about photographers in particular here who may not, you know, may be suing over one or two photographs and, you know, may not have the money to engage an attorney and, you know, file in federal court. This could be a good good avenue for relief um, for some defendants who who want to limit their ex- exposure on the front end, um, you know, having their damages capped as they would be before the the copyright tribunal could also be uh, attractive. You know, if, if every and as, as Michael discussed, to to be before this tribunal, both parties have to agree. So if either party opts out timely, then then you go back to federal court um, if, if at all. Um, but 
I, I think in the right case, this could be attractive to both parties. In certain cases, it may be only attractive to one party. So I can't say the copyright bar as a whole is, is embracing it because we'll, we'll have to see how it all really works out and, and whether it truly provides a benefit. Yeah, that makes sense. Well, well Michael, let me turn to you to, to, if you could, please sketch out the contours of the, of the law, which is the called the Copyright Alternative and Small Claims Enforcement Act or the CASE Act. Yeah, thanks for having us, Nathan. You know, so the CASE Act um, authorized the U.S. Copyright Office to create this three-judge panel, um, and they're called the Copyright Claims Board, and they are tasked with hearing copyright claims that are worth under $30,000, these three um, these three judges. But if your claim is worth under $5,000, you can actually choose to have it heard by only one member of that panel. Um, it's important to note that the CCB, the Copyright Claims Board, only hear certain claims, not all claims under the Copyright Act. Um, they are tasked with hearing copyright claims um, for violations of the exclusive rights under the Copyright Act, also for hearing um, declarations of non-infringement and claims for misrepresentation under the Digital Millennial Copyright Act. And you know, as we've mentioned, the total damages are capped at $30,000 per proceeding, and a claimant can either elect to receive actual damages, meaning the damages that they believe that they have um, that they have faced because of this infringement and potentially profits from um, the other party's infringement, or they can opt for statutory damages. And, you know, it really is important to note that it's voluntary. I think a lot of a lot of um, content creators and, and, and copyright litigators were a little bit worried about the CCB when this came out. But it is voluntary for both those bringing claims and those responding to claims. But one thing to keep in mind is that if you are a respondent and you have received a claim, you need and you don't want to be before the CCB, you must affirmatively opt out within 60 days of receiving the claim. If not, you will automatically be in the CCB um, having to adjudicate the claim there. So it's important to just note that you do need to be monitoring um, your notifications and make sure you actually opt out in a timely manner. Yeah, that would seem to be a saving grace. I would think if you had to affirmatively opt into this tribunal, it would be, you know, there wouldn't be a lot of volume, at least initially, before the CCB. That was the thought process there, yeah. Do we know exactly when the tribunal will be open for business? that's a really good question. I think that's sort of been a mystery. Um, the actual law said that it could start hearing claims. It should start hearing claims within the first year, but it also allowed for six months, um, you know, just in case other delays or other issues come up. So, so far, what we do know is that they're expected to start hearing claims in the spring. But at the very latest, um, they'll start hearing claims in June 2020. Um, that's sort of the limit that the that the the law um, puts on when when the tribunal can start hearing claims. Do we know anything at this point about the the type of people who will be judges in this forum? Will they be appointed by the Copyright Office? Yes, they have been appointed by the Copyright Office, and they do have um, years of experience in copyright um, copyright law of, of litigators, and have you know are are really um, you know very knowledgeable about about the issues. So I, I feel pretty confident that these judges are going to be prepared. Uh, I think the Copyright 
the copyright office is very careful about who they're they have they're choosing for these judges. But from my understanding, the actual identity of these of these um, judges hasn't been um, released yet. Um, but I, I feel confident that that will be very they'll be very capable. Thanks for that, Michael. So, Jason, can you walk us through some of the key issues if your attorneys and parties should think about when deciding whether to litigate before the CCB versus a federal court? I think what you have to do is you've got to look at it from both the plaintiff's side and the defendant's side. So on the plaintiff's side, you've got to look at whether you're uh, comfortable with the limitation of damages. So there's there's a $30,000 limitation uh, per case uh, filed before the CCB. And there's a $15,000 cap on statutory damages, assuming you had a pre-existing registration. And I understand it's $7,500 if you did not. And Jason, um, Jason, can I just stop you there for a clarification? Yeah. So this damage cap, it's, it's not a matter of assessing what your allegation or claim is. You, you may think you have 100000 in damages, but it's just it's a simply a straight damage cap. So you need to, um, it's, it's, not, it's not pegged to what the allegations are. That's correct. And that's that's one of the significant downsides for plaintiffs uh, proceeding before the CCB is that your damages are capped regardless. So in that sense, it's really designed to uh, bring in claims that, that are smaller in nature. So for plaintiffs, you got to look at, are you comfortable with a damage cap? You know, do you think that you know all the facts you need to know about your damages to you know, assume from the front end that you're not going to recover more than $30,000 if you proceed elsewhere, not not enough to make it worth the extra cost. So that's one consideration. And, and there are a lot of, you know, copyright claims that fall into that category where, uh, you know, you may not recover $30,000 in damages at the end of the day, just because it involves infringement of a single photo or something like that. So that's one thing to consider on the statutory damages front, you know, statutory damages in federal court can be up to $150,000 if willfulness is shown. So in a willfulness type case, you've got to consider, well, do I want to have my damages capped at a tenth of that, $15,000? And statutory damages are dis- discretionary and up to the judge or if it, it gets down to it, the jury. Um, so you're not always going to get the maximum no matter what, but you've got to consider, do I really want my damages capped in that regard? Now, an incentive is that you know in federal court, if you did not have a pre-existing registration, by which I mean the registration effective date uh, is prior to or within three months of the commencement of infringement, you can't get statutory damages or attorney's fees at all. Uh, in the CCB, you can, but they're capped. So your your statutory damages be capped at $7,500. Um, in the CCB, I think you can recover uh, attorney's fees regardless of the timing of the registration, but those are capped at $5,000. Now, $5,000 isn't going to get you very far in a federal court litigation. It's not going to get you much further in the CCB. So you've got to consider as a plaintiff, are you okay with having your attorney's fees capped at that level? Now, in cases where you did not have a pre-existing registration, the CCB offers you some amount of statutory damages and some amount of attorney's fees regardless. So it may be more attractive to uh, litigants in that type of scenario. Uh, Another downside you have to consider to the CCB versus federal court is that the CCB cannot award injunctive relief, which in copyright and other intellectual property litigation is often one of the primary goals to get the other party to stop, to take down the infringing image, to be permanently enjoined from ever infringing 
that work again. Uh, you cannot get that before the CCB. Unfortunately, they don't have that power. You can get that in federal court. So in cases where the defendant has already taken down the work and you don't have any reasonable suspicion that they're going to continue to infringe in the future, the CCB may be a good forum to adjudicate your claim. Uh, for defendants who also obviously have to opt in for the CCB to go forward, uh, you know, the incentive is the damages can be limited. They can be limited to, you know, maximum of $30,000. And, you know, when actual damages are difficult to show, the statutory would be, you know, capped at either the fifteen or, or 7500 So I see that being an incentive. The, the attorney fee limitation also has to be an incentive because that's one big concern for most uh, defendants in these, these types of cases is, am I also going to have to pay the attorney's fees of the plaintiff at the end of this, which in federal court litigation could be substantial. Um, at the same time, you know, you may want to, if you're a defendant, you may want to drag things out and, and force a plaintiff to go through the process of expensive federal court litigation, especially if you know that they don't want to do that because they filed a claim in the CCB. So, yeah, there, there could be incentives strategically for a defendant, even in a smaller claims case, to opt out in order to shift the, the leverage to, to their side. So I, I think those are the considerations we're going to see uh, playing out for the most part. One other thing I'd add for, for plaintiffs that, that adds a little bit of extra difficulty is the CCB itself is not a court, so it doesn't have the ability to enforce judgment. So if you do get a monetary judgment, um, in the CCB, like a federal court judgment, that's just a piece of paper and you've got to compel people to pay that. Um, some, some companies or, or individuals will pay a judgment automatically, but often you have to go out and take enforcement action. So in the, in federal court, you can, you can do that with the judgment. Sometimes you need to go to state court to, to pursue certain remedies, but in the CCB, you're going to have to take that, that judgment to a federal court to be able to enforce it. Uh, at the end of the day, the CCB does not have that independent power. So that's another administrative hassle that, that uh, parties may consider before proceeding before the CCB. That, that sounds like a possible big deterrent. I'm wondering whether the advent of a possibly quicker resolution before the CCB might might prompt settlements uh, sooner in the pro- or more of them and sooner in the process. It's possible. I mean, the fact of the matter is that most of these small dollar copyright claims settle pretty quickly anyway. Um, you rarely see them going the distance. It doesn't make sense for either side to to fight them for very long, even when in federal court. I mean, you often see these claims get, getting filed uh, and then the parties stipulating to a settlement before an answer even, even comes in. Um, so, I mean, that, that, that incentive exists already in federal court. Uh, it's it's possible that in the CCB, where parties are incurring less costs on the front end, they might might settle more quickly, or they might might go a little bit further in the process since it's not as much of a financial burden to proceed. And there's there's no appeal from CCB, or I guess judgment, kind of verdicts or whatever you'd call it. <laughs> That, that's right. I mean, they're non-precedential, so yeah, it's not as though you can take them to a district court and appeal them, or yeah, you know, it's kind of a, a final deal before the CCC, CCB. And that's another consideration that parties have to take into account. You know, especially if you're a plaintiff whose works are getting infringed by a lot of different parties. You know, do you want to get a precedential judgment from a federal court that you could use to deter future infringements? 
uh, if you get something from the CCB, it really only applies to that case and those facts, and it has pretty much no precedential effect uh, on anything else. So, so, Michael, how much activity do you think that the CCB will get in year one? I mean, I know there's maybe sort of a wait and see approach to it, but do you have any, you can look into your crystal ball, any feel for whether this is going to be immediately popular or will it take some time? That's a the million dollar question. I'm really curious to see. I think it could go a number of ways. I, I like to think that it'll probably start off re- re- relatively slow. I think a lot of, a lot of um, claimants and especially respondents will be, hesitant to jump into it and maybe want to see how the first you know set of cases come out um but i think and i think it depends on sort of how those first cases do um you know what the results of those cases are so i think we're at a wait and see you know point right now but i do think you know as we've mentioned that there will be a number of pro se claims those will be the first the first ones that i think we'll be able to see and one of the good things about um, the CCB is that they are going to be posting all the filings and the actual decisions of the CCB online. So we'll all be able to sort of follow the cases and, and get an idea of the flow of things and how quick the actual um, adjudication is happening and also just sort of read, read the decisions um, before maybe being able to make a little more of an educated um, assessment on whether you want to be in the seat. Uh, CCB, but on the pro se note, just just, just, a, just a question there, Michael. So they will be publishing decisions. It, it'll be you'll be able to know what their analysis was. Yes, they will be publishing decisions, but we don't know how much analysis those decisions will show. Right? I mean, we we have no idea. As as you know, as Jason knows, sometimes courts will will just you know be very very perfunctory in their decisions. So we don't know how much analysis there will be. I think it depends, frankly, on how many cases they have and if they have time to write, you know, thought out opinion. But whatever the decisions are, they will be posted online. And is, I don't know, is there a thought that the CCB may be more proclaimant or respondent than, than federal court? I don't know. I, I just really don't know if, they, if, if there's a clear way of, of determining that, which is why I think it will be good to see um, the cases go forward and people were able to sort of make a more educated um, assessment um, later on. But, you know, one thing I will sort of caution for pro se uh, claimants, not that it's necessarily impossible, but it's going, it is difficult and it will be time consuming to actually adjudicate these claims. I, I don't want, you know, I wouldn't want pro se claimants out there to think that it's sort of just an easy thing that they just file it and they can sort of walk away. It's going to take time um, and effort to to learn the procedures, even though they are, you know, slightly less, um, slightly less, you know, difficult and also learn the substantive law. You are going to need the substantive law to be able to argue um, your point. So I think, um, you know, pro se claimant should just go in knowing that it is going to be it is going to be, you know, um, time consuming and take up and take up some of their efforts. Yeah. So, and I'll put this question to you, Jason. At what point do we know whether this this grand experiment was a success? I mean, I'm wondering what are the criteria we use to judge whether it's a, it's accomplishing what Congress intended. I think it'll take a few years, and it's set up. The CCB, I think, is supposed to operate for three years, and then they'll they'll take a look at it and see if it should continue. But you know, just given the length of time it takes 
standard litigation to proceed and, and assuming that CCB litigation will go a bit quicker, it will still take at least two to three years to know whether it's been successful. And I think the main criteria to judge it by will be the volume of cases that are being decided and whether the volume of cases that are filed uh, increases, stays flat at a reasonable level or, or never never really takes off or, or declines after an initial period. Um, if it declines, that shows that people aren't really satisfied with the process and would rather be in federal court. Uh, if it steadily increases, that means it's it's succeeding and people like it and it's 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 a good forum. Yeah, if it gets up to a certain point and then plateaus, that can mean the the same thing. You know, another criteria to look at will be uh, federal court congestion. Are there being are, are fewer copyright cases clogging the uh, federal court dockets, especially the smaller cases? Um, so I think those will be the main criteria, and I don't think we'll have a really uh, a good view on that until we're two to three years into the CCA, CCP. It's interesting to think of a tribunal and, and looking at the market and, and, and trying to decipher what the market tells us about whether it's successful or not. But um, one, one, one other question just came to mind. Will, will proceedings before the CCB be virtual or will it be just based on the, on the motions and, and paper? They're expected to be virtual. Um, they haven't ironed out the technology, but I'm thinking either through Zoom or through audio. But there won't be any in-person requirements. Um, so they'll be sort of electronic, but I do anticipate there being hearings. Yeah. Really interesting. Well, Jason, Michael, thank you so much. And I look forward to maybe hearing back from both of you in a, in a year as to what your observations have been about the CCB. Um, for more on the CCB, check out Haynes and Boone's website, where you'll find articles written by Michael in the October 2021 Haynes and Boone Media, Entertainment and First Amendment Newsletter as well as a piece co-authored by Jason and Michael in the World Intellectual Property Review from January of 2022. Thanks again, and I look forward to hosting another episode of HB Media Minute.